0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome into the Pipeline podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jim Callison, Jonathan Mayo. Major League Baseball has a new collective bargaining agreement. The players and owners agreeing on a five-year pact ahead of the 12.01 a.m. deadline Thursday morning. We're going to dive into that new CBA and how it affects the draft and draft prospects as well. We're also going to talk about five prospects who could be baseball's next breakout stars in 2017. Uh, But let's start, guys, with the CBA because... There's no drastic changes to this CBA, but a lot of things that were in place, in my mind, get a little more complicated uh, in this new CBA, and, and we'll try to work that all out. I think the big thing that That a lot of people thought might happen and and what ended up being, it seemed like, the big sticking point was whether or not to add an international draft. And in the end, that is not a part of the new CBA. Uh, Jonathan, you have an article on Pipeline.com that that kind of breaks down all the the stuff that affects prospects and the draft and that. Um, But when you think about an international draft and what that would have meant... Um, are you surprised that that didn't come about in this CBA? Or did you expect at the end when, when all was said and done in the negotiations, baseball wasn't quite ready for an international draft?
2: Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think that they were ready. It's, it's such a complicated and large step to have to make. Um, and it's not that there hasn't, you know, work has been done to try to move in that direction. But it, it, it's just, there are too many hoops to jump through from each, you know, the biggest thing is each country where talent is acquired, they each do things differently, and to get them all on the same page, not to mention the fact that, you know, you draftees in this country, you know, are 18 or college age, and we're talking about 16-year-olds. There were so many different things that would have needed to be figured out that I really, uh, I didn't think that they were going to be able to uh to get it done, you know, if one side had kind of stuck to the gun and said, "No, we we must have this," then I think we might have been in trouble in terms of getting a CBA done. done.
1: Yeah. Then but here's the
0: thing: I have a question. In. Like, just looking at this, and I don't profess to be the expert. That say Jesse Sanchez is. I actually think this system. You had you know players who had gone through the international signing system. You
1: know, even came to the
0: CBA negotiations or spoke to the union and said, "Look, we're against international draft." I think what they got is worse for those players, to be honest with you, because, you know, you, I think, you know, look at the last signing report that we got, Jonathan. I think there was roughly $150 million spent so far by the teams on the 2016-17 international signing period. But that those numbers, it's not like it's a flat average or, or close to an average, you know, like a $5 million across the board. I mean, you have teams that spent a ton of money, like the Padres off the top of my head I think spent close to thirty million and then, then you have other teams that spent, you know, almost next to nothing uh on the on the draft. And I don't think you're necessarily gonna have the teams that weren't spending spending more, but the teams that were spending a lot are gonna spend a lot less, even though you can you can trade some money around. You know, and you're also limited, you know, the days were uh Uh, Yohan Mankata, as you pointed out in your article, and and Jonathan did a great article that that I I told him is still making my head spin just from reading it because there's so many. (laughs) I I think Tim was being kind when he said a little more complicated. It's a lot more complicated. But Yohan Mankata signed for $31.5 million. Now, not even taking aside the penalty the Red Sox paid, but Yohan Mankata got thirty-one and a half million dollars, and the fact that the Red Sox were were willing to pay him another $31.5 dollars, a thirty-one half million uh, dollar penalty on top of that, so the Red Sox actually paid sixty-three million shows you how much in demand Yoan Mankata was. Now, Yoan Mankata is not really going to be able, if there's another Yohan Mankata, the next one isn't going to be able to sign for more than ten million dollars max. Um, that's it. You know, and they've also taken the the age limitation. You know, if you waited. These days, or under the old system, if you waited until, Jonathan, what, 23, I think, to yeah. sign, then you weren't subject to these restrictions. Not well, now 25. it's 25. So I, I think for the elite, you know, in-demand international player, your, your Mancadas, your Yadier Alvarez's, your Diaz Diaz's, those guys, this system stinks. It, it's not good for them at all. And so if I'm MLB, I didn't get a draft, but this is almost better – because it's going to really keep spending down.
1: Yeah, because it's now, just to kind of explain it to people, it used to be that soft cap, and like you mentioned with the Red Sox and Yuan Mankata, they blew over that cap to sign Mankata, and they ended up paying double because of the the fees onto that. Now that's not possible. It's a hard cap, um, and it's based on... Uh, basically anywhere from $4.75 million to, to, 5.2, to $5.75 million. Um, and it depends on different things. A team receiving a competitive balance pick gets a little more money. Um, but at the end of the day, you mentioned, Jim, you could trade the money, and that's where that $10 million you mentioned comes from, is a team that has $5.75 million to spend could, in theory, get another $4.25 million, uh, in a trade to max out at $10 million internationally. But then if they spent all that on one player, that would be it. Uh, and they wouldn't be able to basically sign anyone else, as far as I know, right, Jonathan? That's it. That $10 million or or the 5.75 that that team has is it. There's no going over it. And it sounds like if teams try to na- get, navigate around this or, or maybe get a little shady, baseball now has the the wherewithal to really come down hard on any team that tries to get around these these new rules.
2: Right. Uh, so just to be absolutely precise, it's between four point seven five million and five point two five million as um, the highest end. But uh, yeah, ten million is the most, and that is that is right. it. You, you give ten million dollars to one player, you're done. Um,
0: so and that's you know, if you have traded for more money, you'd have to go out and make a trade even to go to ten. Right. Right. Right.
2: You know, that, that would be, you know you, you know, you can trade up to 75 percent of what your pool is. That's where the $10 million comes from. It's, I can't imagine anyone's going to be able to accrue that much pool money, but, you know, who knows. Um, you can trade away all of your pool money. If you don't want to play it all in the international market, so be it. But uh, there's a limit to how much you can accrue because uh, they're really trying to limit the spending. Uh, you know, we don't know precisely what the, you know, the penalties would be.
0: Um, it, but when you think, the so if it you it look at what happened so to the Red Sox this year, of... they, they Sorry, avoid that they would just void the him? contracts and make the guy I mean, if they're really going to enforce this, based on what they did with the Red Sox who had, again, I'm not the expert, Jesse's on this stuff. but the Red Sox had blown past the international pool in the past. They were limited in 2015-16, to 16, that signing period signing guys for more than $300,000 and baseball ruled that they kind of, I guess, because they had players who had the same trainer, signed a number of players for $300,000, but maybe more money went to one player, not the other guys. And they just made all the players free agents. The players could keep the money they got from the Red Sox, but were made free agents. So, I mean, if, my, my reading, and again, we don't know because it hasn't happened, if this is a hard cap, I mean, A, baseball has to prove every contract. So if you have a, a $5.75 million cap and you're going to sign a contract that's going to put you at $6 million, I would think A, Baseball would say no, you can't do that. We're yep. not we're not approving the contract, and if you did some kind of shenanigans to get around it, uh, that and baseball found out about it, that you would just lose. You, you would basically lose the money, and the player would be made a free agent. So they, they did, that part's interesting to me because they went from <laughs> basically a penalty that nobody worried about. You know, the, the penalty before was if you go over your cap. You are limited for the next couple of years as to the most you could pay a player, but you saw teams more than willing to say, hey, we'll just go ahead and grab three years' worth of talent or more in one year and get it all up front because these guys often take five or six years to develop. And it wasn't a deterrent. You know, I, I don't think baseball ever thought that a team like the Red Sox would say, you know what, we'll, pay, we'll, we'll gladly pay a $31.5 million penalty to sign Yohan Mankata. Um, it wasn't deterrent. All, all that. All the old system really did was for the guys who, who the teams that incurred penalties, is it shifted money they would have paid the player in, in a true free market to the player got half that money and MLB got the other half.
1: Moving on a little bit, just to keep this discussion going, um, guys, is as far as the draft goes, uh, competitive balance is no longer a lottery. Uh, let's move from the international money to that. And, and basically the bottom 10 in market size or, ven- or revenue, uh, they'll all get picks. Um, it depends on whether it's round A or B, and that'll alternate. So that's one little thing. And then the top spot in the U.S. draft is actually going to go down to $7.4 million, which I guess is to somewhat balance it out with that international bonus money. But the other really interesting thing I think is that we knew there was going to be changes to is draft pick compensation. And Jonathan, rather than me try to explain this, maybe you're better off because you wrote the article, but basically instead of uh, you, you offer a qualifying offer to a player, he turns it down, um, you get a first-round pick, the team that signs him loses a first-round pick. That was the system we were working in. Now it's a very much based on what the player signs for, uh, how big a team that, uh, loses him, how big a team or, or market size gains him. There's a lot of things that go into this. I don't know if it's worth explaining all that or just in the big picture, Jonathan, Will teams be more or less likely, you think, with this new system uh, to make qualifying offers in the first place to these players?
2: I don't think it's going to change all that much uh, in terms in terms of that. Um, I think that it slightly encourages smaller market or revenue-sharing money-receiving teams. Uh, it encourages them to likely to make offers to qualifying offer free agents, or maybe they would have been more likely to shy away slightly because they didn't want to lose a first-round pick, potentially. Um, I'm saying this with as much questionable inflection as my voice <laughs> possible. Because,
0: hey, and I'll say, Jonathan, looking at this, I almost wonder, I think it, it, it almost depends on the player. Like, if you have a player who's going to sign for $50 million and get you that, that you know, you're you're a small market team, and you could get a pick at the end of the first round. I think maybe you're more likely to make that offer. But if you're talking about a guy who's not going to get that 50 million dollar offer, and you you would get uh, you'd get what a pick at the end of the second round is what you're talking about. I think they'd be less likely. Like I think back, for instance, to a, a Michael kadire who. I remember being kind of surprised the Rockies offered him the qualifying offer, thinking that nobody's going to sign this guy, and the Mets did, and so they got a first-round pick. But if Michael Kodair was only going to yield you a second-round pick, would you worry more now about possibly getting stuck with a guy? I mean, the, the, the qualifying offer next year will probably be somewhere around $18 million. It's Your questionable inflection was good because there's so many – Factors in this, I I don't think the the teams signing the the 50 million dollar plus free agents. I don't think that the qualifying offer and losing a pick was ever deterrent for the guys who are going to get a lot of money. I think what this helps is the lesser free agent. You know, if you know the the Stephen Drews or the Michael Bournes or the guys who kind of last on the market. You know, those guys aren't going to get 50 million dollar contracts, and now. You know, you'd only lose – I mean, it would still be a blow to lose your second and fifth round pick if I'm a team, like a, like a big market team that's over the luxury th- tax threshold. Or if I'm not over the luxury tax threshold, I just lose my second highest pick. Uh, that's still a deterrent, but it's not as bad as, you know, I theoretically could lose the number 11 pick in the draft. So I think it. it I think this, that system, again – and I, I will try to have questionable inflection, John. I, I, I cannot imagine how much time it took you to write this story because my head is still spinning. Yeah. it seems like uh, the system
2: st- is I, it's spinning again now. You know, now that I'm I'm, I'm sort of re-examining it, <laughs> there are so many different qualifications that it's you know it, it's nearly impossible to really understand. It's going to have to be a kind of case by case. All right, does this guy fit into this category? Does this team fit into this category? Uh, one of the things I think we're going to need to have is just have a uh, a handy list of which teams fall into which categories in terms of revenue sharing, receiving out of markets over the, you know, the luxury tax threshold. One of the sort of interesting things that I thought, uh, you know, as an aside in terms of the penalty or whatever it is, the you know, what you lose if you sign a qualifying off a free agent in addition to, you know, to the picks, um, is, you know, the money. You know, if you're over the luxury tax threshold, you lose a million dollars, not in your draft pool, you lose a million dollars of international pool money.
0: Yeah, I mean, I actually think international spending when we look at it is going to go down. I think I think the international players to. did not come out well and this whole notion that the union protected the international players I don't think they did that at all. I think this system is worse than a draft. I do think this system is good for the handful of free agents who got qualifying offers but weren't, you know, the 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 really in demand free agents. I think it's going to be easier for them to find homes and you know one of the things <laughs> that just kind of got rushed over because you have to spell out so many different tiers and qualifications here it is the notion i want to go back to the fact that the number one pick in the draft got scaled back and yeah. i'll be curious to see did they scale back <laughs> did they scale back all of the picks or did no, they the... just scale back the first four or five picks were kind of out of whack with the the rest of the picks in terms of what the slots were, you know, the the, the first slot last year was nine million, the second slot was seven point eight, then six point five, then five point three, then the net, then down to four point three, and after that they kind of gradually trickled down. Did they just tone down the first four slots, or did they turn down a bunch? I, I'll be curious to see that as well. And I think one of the other things that, that's always interesting is anytime there are changes to any of these player acquisition systems. There are always unintended consequences that nobody necessarily sees coming, and I'm sure we'll talk about in some kind of pipeline podcast in the future, probably next summer or next off season, saying, wow, we did not see that coming.
1: Because the draft, the draft pick compensation in the first rounders is, I think, what we didn't see coming before, that it would really uh, stunt players from signing. And you had players not signing before the season started, which is what led to this, I guess. Jonathan, I believe the overall uh, money as far as the draft bonus pool is remaining the same, right? They're scaling back that top pick, but that money will be uh, averted to other picks, I guess, right? Is that is I, that what I, I, actually... I
2: don't know the answer to that. Question. Okay,
1: I think that's what I saw, but uh... obviously we'll we'll learn more. That we. I can't
0: imagine the union would allow because well, that's always been tied. The reason the first four picks got up so high, higher than any draft pick has ever received as a straight bonus, because they were tied to revenue growth, and obviously baseball's revenue revenue growth has been good. I would be shocked. I think what you're saying makes sense, Tim. Because I can't imagine the union would say, "Hey, we're going to let you roll back all the draft bonuses 20 percent." Right. My guess is that they have the same amount of money, and it's tied, still tied to revenue sharing, but that it's more smoothly allocated. Because I, I mean, Jonathan, you probably heard the same thing. They gave the teams at the four teams at the top these these huge bonuses at the top to give them extra spending power late. But I heard from a number of teams, even those teams that had those picks, that the numbers were just goofy like you know the Phillies yeah, way out of line. I, I like Mickey Moniac as much as the next guy but Mickey Moniac and no player in last year's draft was worth nine million dollars so I, I think you know it, it'll be interesting to see how, how that works and, I, and I'll be curious does that just mean that that all the other picks go up a little bit or is it those first four teams other it'll be it, like I said there's probably all kinds of things we haven't even thought of that we're gonna have to see how this plays out so I'll be very curious when we actually get the, the new CBA or even the memorandum of agreement actually makes its way, and we can we can check that out because it's uh, like I, Jonathan. <laughs> I will give you kudos again. The, I, I, this story, having to organize this information in, a, in an understandable fashion, it, it just it, it's boggling my. It, it's very well organized, and it still boggles my mind because there's all these different qualifications. How much did the free agent signed for. Uh, you know, what is the team over the luxury tax threshold? Uh, there, there, it's, uh, it's, it's making my head spin. That, that's my operative phrase today.
1: Mary. I'm, I'm bookmarking the article for the next five years. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I want to. John
0: still the czar of the competitive balance lottery. If there isn't no a lottery, uh, you, you need no, a different czarship. I'm very title. disappointed by this.
1: All right, uh, guys, we we're actually. Out of time. So we're going to save the next big leaguers uh, for a future podcast. Um, Those are guys that we've talked about plenty before, but we got uh, so wrapped up in this CBA that that that's going to do it for this podcast. Great stuff. And we could have talked for another, I think, 45 minutes about this new collective bargaining agreement. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out once we get to draft day 2017. That's going to be fascinating. And to see where all these teams are picking and, and the bonuses. And then, of course, the international signing period coming up next summer will also certainly be fascinating. Another great uh, Pipeline podcast in the books for Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis. I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in.